Hello and welcome to Africa Inc, where we take a closer look at the news dominating headlines and moving markets across the continent over the past week. As usual, we kick things off with a markets roundup. Roy Mutuni from APSA Asset Management will be giving us his take on some of the movement coming through on Africa's major bourses. Before we hone in on the BRVM in particular, the West African Stock Exchange met with South African fund managers in Johannesburg as a part of its three-city investor roadshow. And Business Day caught up with its CEO, Edo Kosi Amanunve, to get a sense of what the Ivorian headquartered exchange is putting on the table to lure in companies and investors on the liquidity and regional integration front, given that the region's economies are amongst the fastest growing on the continent. In the meantime, the IMF has been lending a helping hand to some of sub-Saharan Africa's fastest growing economies in clamping down on ballooning debt levels. But the clock is ticking for countries like Ghana to implement tax collection reforms in order to keep getting funds from the international lender as it plans to review some of its credit facility agreements with the region. Celeste Fauconier, who's Africa analyst from Rand Merchant Bank, will be with us a little later on to track the progress being made in a couple of those territories. But first, let's take a look at uh, the news making headlines this week with Bronwyn. Thanks, Alicia. Starting off in Kenya, Telcom is looking to challenge Safaricom's dominance of the country's mobile money market, in which it holds a 72% market share and has launched its own platform called TCash. This is Telcom's second attempt at a mobile money platform after it shut down its first platform when it failed to draw in enough subscribers last June. It now invests close to $10 million in the revitalized platform and signed up over 20,000 money agents to provide the service. The mobile money sector of the economy generated over $16 billion worth of financial transactions last year. The world's second floating liquefied natural gas facility has come on stream. Norwegian shipping firm Gola LNG has launched the $1.2 billion project in West Africa, offshore Cameroon. The project is in partnership with French firm Perenko and already has a buyer for its natural gas. Russian gas conglomerate Gazprom has agreed to purchase the project's entire output of 1.2 million tons of LNG for the next eight years. Cameroon is now the sixth African country supplying the world's LNG market. Nigeria is closer to severing its reliance on fuel imports by 2020. Its state oil company, the NNPC, says it will start its refinery overhaul projects by the second quarter of this year and will run through to the end of next year. By then, NNPC says it will have 90% of its refining capacity in place. The group is in final stage talks with consortiums that include Vital, ENI and Trafigura to secure $1.2 billion needed for revamping. Nigeria's oil refineries have struggled to run at full capacity in recent years due to maintenance neglect. Africa's top crude producer has already spent close to $6 billion on fuel imports since late last year. Helios Towers has abandoned its plans to list in London. According to sources, this comes as investors expressed concern about political risks in both the DRC and Tanzania, which are two crucial areas in which the company operates. As such, investors were looking for a discount. Shareholders who had been valuing the firm at as much as £2 billion therefore felt that the expected IPO price was too low and so canned the listing. Besides the DRC and Tanzania, Helios also operates in Ghana and the Congo Republic owning around 6,600 towers.
Old Mutual is on track to split up its businesses by the end of this year. The South African financial services firm says its UK wealth business, which will be renamed Quilter, along with Old Mutual Limited, will be listed in London and Johannesburg once the separation is complete. But it gave no indication of when the listings will take place, saying Old Mutual will keep that card up its sleeve for now. The update comes on the back of its annual results and taking a look at its Africa-related operations, its emerging markets unit, which contributes 44% to the group's operating profit saw a 46% jump in profit after tax. That's largely due to high investment returns in South Africa and Zimbabwe. After the break, the BRVM is on a drive to entice fund manager activity on the West African exchange. So we take a closer look at the case it's putting on the table and we bring you your regular markets wrap as well. So stay tuned. Well, joining me in studio to look at this week's markets action is Roy Mutuni. He's Asset Manager at APSA Asset Management. Thanks so much, uh, Roy, for your time today. So for the most part, we've had corporate earnings in focus. And uh, when it comes to this week, in particular, those out of the financial arena, I want to start off on the West Coast first with Nigeria because results streaming in from the banks on that end and surprising to the upside. How taken uh, off guard were you? by the numbers put on the table? I think one of the things that drove a lot of those numbers was the fact that they were coming from a very high base in terms of interest rates. So Nigeria hasn't yet started cutting rates and drove rates quite high during the time of the crisis over the past two years. So it's only now that you're seeing the potential for rates to come down. Banks during difficult times don't lend out. They put their money into treasury bills and treasury bills um, yielding so high meant that they're going to grow earnings quite aggressively in this coming year. Going forward, it's going to be a different story. If interest rates do come down aggressively, as we expect, they're going to have to find different ways of making money, whether it's actually lending or diversifying their businesses or whichever, it's not going to be interest rates. Are you encouraged by the kind of maneuverings that mm -hmm. are happening in anticipation of those interest rates coming lower? One thing that was very clear was that they've started managing their books a whole lot better. They've done the clean out of what were the bad credits, what were better credits. They all have a better idea of which sectors of the economy are going to grow. So I think it's promising, let's put it that way. So when it comes to Nigeria specifically, mm -hmm. what are some of the, uh, the standouts for you from mm -hmm. a company perspective? Uh, what are you backing at this stage of the game? I think it's back the favorites, the big tier one banks, GT Bank, Zenith Bank. These came out with pretty clean numbers, solid growth. Um, the level of bad debts or provisioning was relatively low, capital adequacy very high. Um, and these are, these, are the, these are the companies that I think over the next couple of years will be able to turn around and lend to the right people in the right way. Yeah. So in, in, in a 
an economy that's turning around, you want to back favorites such as those. Absolutely. Well, mm -hmm. it's uh, proving to be a little bit more problematic in Kenya, and that mm -hmm. on account of uh, the cap on interest rates having right. been reduced, uh, we know that that has been uh, very problematic for mm -hmm. the banks over on that end. Just today, uh, the finance minister saying uh, that it's unsustainable mm -hmm. and that the government has plans to modify them without driving up lending rates. No more detail beyond <laughs> that given, yes. though. What have you made of the announcement today? The thing is, we've always known that they were unsustainable in their current form. But the difficulty is, it's not something that the president or the finance minister can just take out because this was an act of parliament. Mm -hmm. And from a populist perspective, people want low interest rates and people believe interest rates have been kept down by this act. So it's going to be a very tight rope that they, that they have to walk, that on the one hand, they know they need to modify it, and on the other, the banks need to play ball by um, managing the risk a whole lot better and trying to keep rates low for the common man to be able to access credit. The problem in Kenya has always been access to credit. Mm -hmm. They thought that they could increase access by reducing the cost of credit, but as we found out right now that those are two very, very different things. Uh, the other thing in Kenya has been the drought, the fact that they had two elections, so a lot of electioneering and politics just meant the economy has been quite depressed. But now that's behind us. Um, the president and the opposition leader are talking. Um, it's been raining heavily. So when we look out into the next six to 12 months, especially if parliament finds a way out of this impasse, then we should start seeing growth coming back. Yeah, well, it's declining interest rates that seems to have mm -hmm. been the common theme because it's that, in fact, that mm -hmm. uh, has helped uh, Egypt's uh, market as well. It's mm -hmm. trading up 3% this week. Uh, let's take a look at Egypt and some of the, the drivers mm -hmm. uh, in that market at this stage. Egypt went through a whole period of very irrational financial monetary policies, and then they decided at one go to change it all with the help of the IMF. So took interest rates incredibly high, um, devalued their currency very aggressively. Um, and as a result, the last one year been has been very difficult. What we've seen is inflation coming off reasonably aggressively. And just recently, the, the, the Reserve Bank, they're beginning to bring down interest rates, mm -hmm. which clearly is a big positive for the consumer companies because people have more spending power for the banks because the likelihood of bad debts reduces um, and for the economy at large. So we're seeing that in company earnings already, which is quite promising because it's very early in their cycle. Yeah, of course, mm -hmm. this uh, all has been further emphasized by the results that South African banks have been putting right. on the table, showing mm -hmm. that their African subsidiaries are doing increasingly better Absolutely. and contributing more uh, to uh, you know, the, the parents' South African operations. Just how much more competitive a landscape mm -hmm. do you foresee? So, so the rest of Africa is still small in the lives of um, South African banks, but it's very promising. When you look at Standard Bank, the rest of Africa had an ROE in the mid-20s compared to the company itself, the, the group being in the mid-teens or mm -hmm. slightly higher than that. So it shows you that these businesses do contribute. Even in the case of Barclays, we're already beginning to see Barclays and ABSA, we're already beginning to see green shoots coming through. So the African businesses can contribute um, and, the, and they will be contributing as they continue to grow. So it's promising and I think it also means that this whole concept of South African companies doing well in Africa is beginning to come through.
Well, let's leave it there, Roy. Thanks mm -hmm. so much for having joined us in studio today. Of course, Roy Mutuni is with APSA, uh, APSA Asset Management, giving us an overview of the banking sector landscape on the African continent. In the meantime, the BRVM is considered to be one of the world's most successful regional stock exchanges, linking the eight West African countries that use the CFA franc. But its growth has been hampered by liquidity challenges, making it difficult for foreign and regional traders to buy and sell stocks in bulk. So the BRVM kicked off an investor roadshow in South Africa, which will later touch down in London and New York to entice some fund managers to the bourse. It's targeting 12 new listings over the next two years. Business Day caught up with its CEO, and here's what he had to say about steps the West African nation is taking to increase market activity. I think that we have uh, two uh, or three actions to increase liquidity in the market. Uh, the first one is to increase the free float. If you don't have big free float in your market, you, can, you can't have liquidity. It is very, very important that the free float must be uh, very uh, large in, uh, in, uh, in, uh, in the market. In the case of BRVM, the obligation of uh, the companies is just 20% mm. free float. Mm. Uh, uh, but if we see uh, in the other market on the continent or in the world, the free float can uh, be 80% or 100%. So you can have volume to trade. The, the second one uh, is to have a stock price that are very low, so a retail investor can buy uh, the listed company shares. Uh, so we need to increase liquidity to split stock uh, shares in the market. It's what we have done in, on the BRVM during the last, uh, the last three years. That is also important. Now, the, the last uh, action uh, to be taken to increase liquidity is to improve the financial information disclosure in the market by the listed company because investors need to have more information, timely information, and uh, they can trade using this information. To what extent do you engage with, with the JSE? Recently, we are involved in an African leakage project mm. with GSE, what we call AELP, mm. which is a project of linkage uh, uh, that uh, will uh, uh, bring together GSE, Morocco, uh, Nigeria, Kenya, Bavarian, Mauritius. Mm. Uh, so we can have a kind of uh, uh, accessibility of our brokers to these uh, exchanges and maybe one day we can uh, have a one uh, unique uh, negotiation platform for, for this market. Yeah, it, it sort of makes sense because the current, the BRVM as it stands currently, um, it doesn't include Ghana and Nigeria. No, BRVM okay. is only eight countries, the yes. Francophone countries and Guinea-Bissau. Okay. Uh, we are trying to have uh, an integration between the ECOWAS yes. countries, the 15 countries of ECOWAS. That includes uh, 
Ghana, Nigeria, Cape Verde, Sierra Leone, Liberia, and so on. And we started the process of integration of these these exchanges, and we reached already the phase one of the integration. And we hope that we'll move quickly to phase two and phase three. We think that we can reach phase three in 2020 with the unique currency for the Equus zone, so we can have a bigger market in the Equus. When you say integration, what do you what does that actually mean? That the exchanges integration is a kind of one exchange. No, not one exchange. Okay. The local exchanges will remain. Right. But we'll have a unique platform, a okay. unique order book okay. uh, for every listed company. Okay. Uh, so uh, the brokers can go through the entire region without uh, a need of uh, license by country. Right. Uh, th th that is very important. We think that we cannot uh, uh, have a unique stock exchange for the 15 countries. Uh, we need to link mm. the existing stock exchanges. Okay, okay. Um, let me just have a look here. Uh, something I wanted to ask. Oh, the currency issue. So what is the currency that's... CFA. You have only one currency. Okay, okay. the French, the Francophone country. Exactly. Um, I mean, I don't, I don't think, I don't think they've struggled to the extent that that oil-dependent countries struggled with currency issues in the last few years, like Angola and Nigeria, mm -hmm. in terms of not being able to clear mm -hmm. and actually get money out the countries. Exactly. I mean, has that ever been a challenge for the BRBM? Just no, because no? we we have the guarantee of convertibility okay. with the uh, the franc uh, treasury. Okay. So uh, this is not an issue on the BRBM. You can freely transfer your proceeds uh, from BRVM to your home country. Okay. That is a very big advantage mm. for our our region. A very very big advantage. The, the currency is very stable, and uh, the repatriation of proceeds is is free. Uh, there is no restriction on holdings, and uh, I think that is a very open. Uh, environment for international investors. Well, that was Edo Kosi Amanunbe, who's CEO of the West African Stock Exchange, the BRVM. In the meantime, the clock is ticking for some sub-Saharan African countries to get their houses in order before the IMF starts checking up on whether the criteria for the loans granted are being met. So stay tuned as we find out.
International Monetary Fund has been wrapping up visits in the region where it's been checking in on whether governments are taking heed of its structural recommendations that look to keep a lid on debt levels and prompt growth. The visits come ahead of the lender reviewing its credit and loan agreements with the likes of Ghana from next month. And Celeste Fauconier, who's Africa analyst at Rand Merchant Bank, joins me in studio now to unpack some of the progress that's being made in implementing reforms like boosting tax revenues and what still needs to be put in place to either sustain or expand current GDP growth levels. Uh, thanks, Celeste, for joining us today. So back in 2015, Ghana committed to implementing reforms that would rein in chronic overspending <laughs> and improve uh, governance as well in exchange for this $1 billion extended credit facility from the IMF. It was a plan that was started back in April 2015. It comes uh, to the end of that, te- uh, you know, that period in December. How are you rating the kind of progress uh, Ghana's been uh, been making? Well, I think you can look at it numbers-wise, but also just Mm sentiment-wise. That um, from a sentiment perspective, you can see investors are very happy with what Ghana's been doing, um, consolidating their fiscal balances, um, freezing wages, bringing more tax coming into the market. Uh, Also, from a if we look at numbers, inflation has come down very nicely. That has allowed the government or the central bank rather now to bring your policy rates down. We also see that the currency has been significantly stable uh, compared to what it was three years ago. So those aspects, I think they have been doing very well. I think they're one of the best performers when it comes to the agreement with an IMF program. Fiscal discipline is one thing, though, and structural reform is another. In its latest review of the country, the IMF has highlighted that its actual revenue uh, collection needs to be improved uh, that fiscal consolidation has to be revenue based so how much of a challenge is that proving to be yeah I think it's a big challenge for Africa especially tax collection it's something every year that we hear about every government says they want to improve their tax collection it's a problem in Africa I think in a sense because most of the markets in Africa are informal Mm -hmm. so trying to get taxes from an informal market is very difficult I think if we also look at Ghana for instance um, if we see that their identification is a problem so what the government has now put in place is that they want every person to have a tax number the only way you can get a tax number or the only way you can get your passport or your your driver's license is by having a tax number so they're enforcing it quite nicely it's more of do not raise your taxes it's more what everybody always says is put the net out further to get more revenues in if we couple that though with the fact that government capital spending is already low Mm. at three percent of gdp how much risk does that present to hitting some of the fiscal targets that have been set further down the road? Well, I think because um, capital expenditure had to be dropped over the past few years, so your infrastructure is taking a hit. Um, most countries, unfortunately, still have the problem of overspending um, in their budget years, specifically political uh, spending for elections. Also, if we look at recurrent spending like um, uh, increasing wages every year so I think they're still not doing enough from that perspective it's a massive risk these governments need to start spending on infrastructure and stop spending on recurrent spending okay so that's some of what it needs to look at Ghana in the meantime looks at, is looking to issue a one billion dollar euro bond this year how do you see that being received because if successful it then affords authorities the ability to refinance more uh, costly domestic debt and uh, mm. you know start using that capital to to advance some of its growth agenda. Absolutely. I think maybe we should start talking about the debt levels um, Mm -hmm. in Africa. 
on average, it's about 55%. So that seems low compared to your over 100 in certain developed nations. But the problem is our repayments of interest is much higher than in those countries. So that's the crux of why Africa should bring their debt levels more, down more. Um, also um, getting uh, borrowing, borrowing offshore and domestically. Mm -hmm. But looking at the Eurobond, I think it will be taken up quite nicely. Um, it's just looking at what has been happen, happening over the past six months with other issuances. We know Ivory Coast issued one of the biggest Eurobonds that Africa has issued, um, and it was taken up three to, or three times oversubscribed. Um, same with Nigeria, a few times oversubscribed in the past six months. The, the, the thing is, that might not necessarily just mean there's a lot of investor appetite. There is. Um, there isn't enough supply, I think, of eurobonds in emerging markets like Africa. So I think that is why there's still a good uptake. But also the problem is that we've been seeing with eurobonds is that um, some companies only get a small percentage of what they're actually offering. So all of them know that they're probably only get, going to get a small portion of what the government offers. So they put high levels or high uh, bids in for these eurobonds. So it looks like it's oversubscribed. Yeah. These are just some of the countries that the IMF has uh, lent a helping hand to. Who do you see needing to get support next? I think if we uh, we are currently running a model um, at RMB that looks at um, you look at GDP growth, you look at foreign direct investment savings, uh, we look at revenue generation. If we look at all of that to see who's probably going to be next on the IMF list, we can put mostly the countries that are still very dependent on commodities. Um, we can use Angola as a very good example. It is on the model. It is showing. Please, we need <laughs> IMF help. But yet they get support from other countries like Brazil, Portugal, China. Uh, the thing, the problem is, is with that and Chinese support is that there's no conditionalities, really. So there's no structural reforms. The thing, that's why the, the IMF is important, to get that structural reform and have balanced growth in these economies. Absolutely. Let's leave it there, Celeste. Always a pleasure. Thanks so much for having joined us in studio today. Of course, Celeste Fauconier is with Rand Merchant Bank. And that's where we leave things with you for this week. But you can catch us same time, same place next week from me and the rest of the team. It's goodbye for now.